Hello, everyone. You are in the game, a podcast about sports, business, and the intersection of business and sports. This is Anand Punjabi in London, in the United Kingdom. Uh, very happy to be finally playing golf again regularly. And as today's show is about rugby union, a quick mention that I'm a veteran of numerous Hong Kong Sevens tournaments, not as a player, of course, but like thousands of others, a veteran of drinking a lot of beer there. There you go. There you go. And this is Vladimir Bosanitz. I'm coming in from Seattle, Washington, the home of the Seattle Seawolves rugby team. Excellent. I wonder if they, uh, the fans are drinking a lot of beer when they watch the Seawolves. Yes, I'm sure they are. <laughs> a couple of meat pies as well. Yeah. In today's show, we're going to sit down with Adam Fryer. We're super excited to have him on the show. Adam is the general manager of the first and only professional rugby union team in Los Angeles, the LA Giltinis. He comes from a very rich background, uh, both domestic and international rugby. Adam started his rugby career in his home country of Australia, where he played uh, Australian schoolboys. Uh, in 1998, as well as in the under-19s, where he captained Australia. Uh, he went on to play for the Australian under-21s, captaining them in 2001 at the under-21 rugby championships. Adam, most importantly, is a former Wallaby, and by that we mean someone who played at full international level uh, for the national rugby team of Australia. Adam represented the Wallabies in 25 test matches. Uh, Adam was also the president of RUPA, the Rugby Union Players Association in Australia. Being the president of that's a pretty prestigious uh, appointment. Yep. So we're super excited to have Adam as our guest today, and we're sure you're going to love the show. Vlad, are you ready to get into this rugby game today? I am. Let's get on with it. Let's do it. Hey, everyone. It's Anand from the In The Game podcast. First of all, on behalf of Vlad and the team, thank you for taking the time to listen each week. We know your time is valuable and we're grateful that you choose to spend some of it with us. We really hope you find it worthwhile. We'll continue to do our best to provide you with compelling stories and disruptive analysis from the world of sports business. Now we'd like to ask you a favor. If you like the show, please share a link with your friends, colleagues, and fellow sports lovers. Tell them that they need to get in the game too. And of course, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate your five-star rating and review. From your podcast app, just tap on the In The Game cover art, scroll down, and tap on Write A Review. Believe it or not, this little gesture really helps. Thank you all so much, and now it's time to get back in the game. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the In The Game podcast. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Vladimir Brzanitz, and we're delighted uh, this week to introduce Adam Fryer of uh, the Giltinis LA Rugby Club. We don't talk rugby very often here on the podcast, but uh, myself, having um, been a veteran of the Hong Kong Sevens for uh, many years, drank a number of pitchers of very bad Carlsberg beer. Uh, and pretended to watch the rugby, and delighted to have a rugby man here with us. Uh, Adam, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here. Uh, it's actually a pleasure to be here, and I uh, appreciate you guys having me on the on the podcast. And as I said, it's funny, every time I'm introduced as the rugby guy, everyone's got 
a rugby story. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing. Since landing here in the States, it's, what do you do? Uh, so I'm, I run a rugby team. And I go, oh, my sister played rugby. Or I got drunk at the Hong Kong Sevens once. <laughs> it's always about high performance, but there's always a story. Yeah. Well, I don't think uh, I would pretend to be uh, an elite rugby player, uh, but an elite rugby watcher for, for a number of years when I lived in Hong Kong. So. Yeah. Anand, hey, so since you and I both went to Georgetown, our, our other kind of rugby story is that Bill Clinton played rugby at Georgetown for what it's worth. So, you know, there you go. There's that. That's that too as well. Two stories for you today. <laughs> Two stories. There we go. And hearing about the hearing about the players that you played with in basketball <laughs> in Takembe Matombo and uh, Alonzo Morning, they'd, they'd make some incredible locks in rugby. They'd be they'd be pretty stellar. Yeah, yeah. I've gotten some of those elbows in my face a few times. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, really, again, thanks for being with us. Why don't you kick us off? Just tell us a little bit about your your sporting background and how you've now ended up in LA as the GM for the uh, Giltini's LA Rugby Club. Yeah, well, if I have to rewind it all the way back, and I know we were talking offline before before this podcast started, is that my passion's always been basketball. I grew up uh, in a in a small little suburb in Sydney where I wanted to play in the NBA, and everyone used to laugh at me. And I played three years at the top of my uh, class at, at my high school at Waverley, and um, I didn't grow up. So um, I literally was a stocky little little basketballer, but then transitioned into rugby. And in Australia, rugby has seemed a bit of an elite sport. Uh, it's it's part of an affluent community, but it all has also has these beautiful parts of it that are all around culture and, and Pacifica. And it just was a really blend of everything at the time as a, as a young kid because I grew up in a poor suburb but playing a rich person's sport and look I, I won't go into sort of my professional career but I was very fortunate to get the right coaches at the right time Eddie Jones saw me as a 19 year old uh, and, I, and I didn't really play any juniors I went straight into the men's and, and Eddie Jones who's a highly regarded international rugby coach picked me up and and brought me into a professional program had a 15 year pro career which you know, I, I got to the top, uh, played at World Cups and made many great friendships. But about five years into my career, with an ending, um, this is my professional career, I, I knew my body was not going to last forever uh, and just started trialling and doing different things around. I was very passionate about the media and I also did a lot of jobs when I played rugby that I that I hated, right? So I actually found out what I wanted to do by going into things like insolvency and God God bless any accountant. Uh, I don't know how they do it. But uh, and trying all these different things, and I ended up getting a cadetship at the ABC and worked in the media and then uh, blossomed into a communications uh, career. And then just was very fortunate to still be a person that worked in their sport, that had the opportunity to market their sport and play for their country with the Wallabies and then sitting in this beautiful dynamic of, having all of those things there. And I actually still played club rugby up until I was 40. So I did that up until the end of last year, uh, which this opportunity of coming to the States to to not only be part of a new club, but be part of a, a dynamic which is very different in sport. I, I felt like I, my use-by date was up in Australian rugby. And I opened up just there by saying, and that's why I love telling people this, is that I'm very, very passionate about American sport. I wanted to play in the NBA. I feel this is probably the closest thing I'll ever get to playing in the NBA is training <laughs> next to the Lakers. And we do train next to the Lakers here at El Segundo. So, yeah, I, I, I'm very fortunate because I've got not only 
a professional career in, in marketing uh, and broadcast and digital and communications and public relations. But I also have the understanding of being a player and being an understanding that also I've only just recently retired from semi-professional to then come to LA and really connect with the group immediately. Uh, and we've, we've brought some people over from the dynamic that I've worked in and we've just recruited really well with some really good local off-field talent. And then you bring in a playing group that, I've, you know, I've played with a couple of these guys too. So, look, everything's rosy after you've played two games and you've won two games. But I tell you what, behind the scenes, you know, you tell me, starting up a rugby team in what I call the sporting capital of the world. Sure. There is no more cluttered market than Los Angeles. Right, right. Yeah, there are many teams. No, during a pandemic in the COVID capital of the world. Now, give me all of those and a sporting startup. So that's your five recipes. Here you go. Uh, and off to the races. Uh, so just even just to, to announce in round one uh, was spectacular. And what better place to do it than the Coliseum, uh, Memorial Coliseum, which I, like, you see that Coliseum and you see the energy and the history that's in there. It really is. It's just an exciting brand to play in what I call um, the heartbeat of the city of that sporting of the sporting capital. There's just something. It's just something really special about it. So, a very quick journey of my life into the birth of the Giltinis Rugby Club. Well, we were actually going to talk a little bit more about club rugby in the U.S., but Vlad, I'm wondering since since Adam has just kind of mentioned the Giltinis Club, I'm wondering if we should just develop that as we kick things off here. Adam, you could tell us a little bit about Giltinis has come about the genesis and maybe the backers and the people people behind the team. Giltini's Rugby Club is it's it's interesting because every time at the start of when I joined, I was very apprehensive around who do you work for? And I used to say the LA Giltinis. And I'll be like, Guillotine? Giltines? Guillotine? Like no one could get it. So then I for the first three months I was saying I worked at LA Rugby. But as I gradually started to to sell the story around Giltinis, it it, it, it becomes a lot more organic and natural now. And and the Giltini is a premium cocktail drink. So the way in which the business dynamic works is that there is a multiple businesses owned by Adam Gilchrist, who is more famous for what he has done to the training industry, which we can touch on a little later. Yeah. And he's completely transformed that. So there are companies all within this building uh, that I work at now here in El Segundo is, you know, the Giltini is a premium cocktail. When people say, well, you're named a cocktail drink, our sporting badge is a cocktail, we pay in pink and blue, it is unusual, absolutely. But it also, when you sell the story, is that within rugby around the world, the very best Japanese rugby team is a whiskey, Suntory. Uh, and, and it is seen to be one of the most premium rugby brands on the planet. So there's a precedent there. In Japan, some teams play attractors or an internet company. Now, you move across to, say, Red Bull. You go to a Formula One event, there's kids, and not saying kids should be endorsing cocktails, and we've got a program to endorse the, the kids' part of this business, but they've got you know energy drinks on flags, and they're going up you know, ballistic over an energy drink team, that being Red Bull. And then Red Bull have done an incredible job of merging their brand into extreme sports, but now also in the football clubs. So I think the way in which broadcast revenue really underpins a sport like NFL, NBA, uh, EPL, you know, they've got that broadcast and, and it is just, you know, so much power 
like to be able to do that. But we don't have any broadcast revenue for now. So you have to be different. You have to be innovative. And you have to trial things because, you know, a sustainable business model isn't just going to survive off ticket sales and ticket revenue. So you need to build brands within it. So at the start, absolutely. It sort of didn't really roll off the tongue that well. But Giltini's rugby is now, as it's evolved and when you go into the pitch and you see pink shirts, you see blue shirts, you're now starting to see some of the merch come out. You're starting to hear about our community academies and local club rugby. It, it actually is going to underpin that. And look, I don't even know what a Dodger is, if I'm being honest with you. <laughs> and someone asked me the other day what a Clipper was. And I was like, I don't know, but I know it's got a history. And you've got to start at some point to change to conquer the unexpected of what we're trying to do, you've got to change the tune at some point. You've got to have a starting point. And we'll, we'll be the guillotinis. And I'm not saying on this podcast that, you know, we're going to be a brand like the Yankees or, or Clippers, but within rugby, we want to be a brand that's fresh, new and innovative. And, and, and I do feel that the name is not as important. It's the actions that we represent, which are. And, and we're, we're, we're ultimately doing that. We're, we're playing incredibly well. Uh, and we're doing some really good things in the community. So, um, yeah, it is, it is an interesting one. But I believe is that sports, uh, and you wouldn't think too long ago, no one in their right mind would have ever thought to change the name of the Wallabies, the Australian team, to the Qantas Wallabies. Or even with the All Blacks at the moment, you know, they're looking at private equity coming into the All Blacks, which is, I think it's just been blocked. But all these brands are willing to give up a piece of their brand for another one to develop sustainable business models that can carry the sport forward. And when people say to me, oh, you're named after cocktail, uh, you know, how's that going to impact the community and kids? Well, it's like, you know, if this brand grows and more drinks are able to sell a, a, a beverage, we'll create sustainable rugby clubs. It could create modules that actually coach kids and do different types of things. And I, and I think we are all responsible with it, but, it's just an interesting model and something that I wanted to get behind because I think I just said before is we want to be recognised as a brand that, that does things differently but represents fresh new actions of sport. And and I do wholesomely believe in that and believe in the brand. And and I think we will do things differently. And I think that's, that's, that's a new thing because I think broadcast revenue, it's going to go up for the big players, but it's going to be really hard to find for that sort of mid-tier. Yeah. And Adam, uh, I think that's a that's a good segue. I mean, your your season is kind of off to an early start here. I think it just kicked off uh, a couple of weeks ago. When you look on the schedule for all the teams, it does show that it's shown on some of the local channels, some of the CBS kind of Fox affiliates and that kind of stuff. You mentioned this as a, as not really a big revenue item for you guys at the moment. Is it just being shown free? on these TV uh, channels for you guys? Uh, they're just kind of picking you up because they have some, you know, leftover, uh, you know, media slots. How, how does how does that work? Or does the league on kind of a broader, you know, sense get some of the revenue of that and then passes it on? Yeah, that's a really good question because thing that is, the dynamic of broadcast right now is, is, is very, an interesting space. Like Bally, it's now Bally, uh, Bally Sports. Yeah, they they purchased a bunch of the Fox yeah, affiliates, yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So they're our partner, and we've been saying Fox Sports West and Prime Ticket, but we say Fox Sports West Prime Ticket now Bally Sports West. So there's already confusion on that, uh, and they're our broadcast partners, and they've been fantastic. They showcase all our games live, 
And there's this really unique balance around owning content and trying to drive revenue from that content with subs and different pieces. The MLR have gone down a, a different approach of it's free always through their OTT, which is the rugby network. A little bit like uh, NBA pass or an NFL pass. I'm sorry, just to interrupt, just for our listeners, the MLR is Major League Rugby, just so that everyone's aware. Pardon me. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So we have our direct-to-consumer model uh, through the rugby network, but also have our live, you know, local broadcasts. And and I'm going to be real honest, and I, I come from a digital broadcast background. There is still nothing like turning on a TV and watching sport. And, and as much as we are feeling as though the digital will take over and we're watching it through iPhones and iPads and computers. It's something about, you know, turning on a TV in front of your family with a beer and a, I would say, a meat pie in Australia. But that, I don't think we should ever lose sight of that. And there's still big yeah. business in broadcast television, although digital is certainly growing. I think snackable content on digital is huge, but that's another story. So our model is, do we give it away for free? to elevate and grow our brand and partner with Valley Sports West and partner with these big players and then look at different ways of commercialising our content or do you just put it behind a paywall, it's difficult to get, there's three different logins. That's not what we can do. I believe the first sort of five years we've got to look at a steady growth path of elevating out and into a world where we can get exclusive partners. And and the, the US market is very different to that of Australia and also the UK where you've got different regions and it is broken up. But fans are used to it. Uh, and fans, even through the pandemic, are getting used to kickoff times changing and days changing. It's just it's just this whole wild west at the moment. But I'm a big believer in content and, I, and I'm, I'm of the view that we're, we're, we are super proud of our partnership with Valley Sports West and and they love their rugby. And, and again, when we presented to them, the, the producer was very much... Yeah, my sister played rugby in college and like everyone's got a rugby story. Yeah. And and my biggest sell to him was, and this is no disrespect to Matt Giddo, we've got the David Beckham of the Major League Soccer is is Matt Giddo of the Major League Rugby. Like we've been able to recruit a player that's coming over for the right reasons. He's he's made enough money in the sport where he just wants to bring his family over and live at Manhattan Beach and you know play his last season. And the brand exposure just with that has been huge. And when we sold that story into at the time, prime ticket Fox Sports West. They loved it. They want to see the sport grow. And they also know that rugby is the third biggest sporting event on the planet, that being a World Cup. It's it, it's huge. And every person will tell you this, is that when the US can somehow not get it right, it's the right way of putting it, but once the moon's aligned for rugby in the US, God help any other sport around the world, that being rugby or network, chase it because it's just so much potential, which sort of brings me back to my point around moving out of Australian rugby, which I had a career at for 22 years, is to move over here. You get it right in Tinseltown. If Hollywood can get rugby right, uh, we are, you know, it's going to be a force to be reckoned with. You sound very optimistic, and I assume you're, you're out here now for the medium to long term. You're going to try and see this through. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not. A, I'm not. People who know me personally know that I'm not. I'm not a short-term fixer, and and I am passionate about. I'm passionate about brand. That that that's. If I go back to sort of what what I was saying before around, people think I'm a rugby guy. I'm not. I'm a brand guy, and I, and I'm a big believer in. And I drive people a little bit mad around here around where a logo is placed or where 
how we speak about our brand and our key messages are in media. Like that's that's my passion is brand. And I think this brand of rugby union in Los Angeles, let's not just say the Guiltinis, but that brand can be absolutely anything. And you walk up the street here from from say Manhattan Beach into Inglewood, and then you start drifting out into Compton. The amount of talent and the amount of players in SoCal that are that are ready to go. And don't think about washed up NFL players that haven't made it, the college system or basketballers or whatever. Don't forget them. If they're 15 and they haven't played rugby before, they're unlikely to transition. They still can, but even this undercurrent, you go to Belmont Shore, um, you know, really rich Polynesian and loyal rugby community. Gosh, it, it, it's, it can be anything. And uh, and I think the other thing around being in Los Angeles is they demand success. And, and that's that's what I'm passionate about too. I'm very passionate about brands and I'm passionate about high-performing brands and winning. So, yeah, I, I am in it for the long haul. And, you know, my end goal would be is to be the sport and for kids to be playing rugby and for that part of it to grow, but also internationally to see the Guillotini's premium cocktail drink play the best whiskey in the world, Suntory, wow. or going out of stud front say to play those. Like that's where that's when brands meet brands and it just elevates the both of them. So there is huge upside, no doubt. And and you know, I'm very fortunate I work with a really passionate owner and a and a passionate group that work within here as as well off the field that that have the same views yeah. of sport. Adam, uh, you you mentioned the great amount of talent that you have down there in Southern California. You know, tell us what is the makeup of of your team, and then what is the makeup of the of the league in general? How do how do the players get to Major League Rugby from wherever they came from? You know, that's a great question because I was talking to someone about this the other day. Is that we are in a in a bit of a weird space at the moment because we have a lot of foreigners. Rugby is built around internationalism and so if you walk into a bar say in, in Ireland and they know you play rugby there's automatically a relationship there and I think that's a, a lot to do with the MLR so we do have a lot of expats I would say probably a third are internationals but they're internationals that are coming here for the right reasons so that's one part then you have an enormous amount of US talent that is still here and they've never had an opportunity to be a professional now we aren't at the the pay salary that you know, ensures that these players are going to, they've got to work another job, but we're getting closer to it being absolutely full-time. And then you have, so that's the American players. And Americans and Canadians, I would just say Northern America and, and Canada are deemed as locals, and you're only allowed a certain amount of internationals and a certain amount of locals have to fill the rest. And then you have APC players that... What is the what is the mix, if you don't ask me asking? What is the percentage of locals that make up a squad? What, what rules have you created within the MLR? Yeah, yeah. So we have a squad of 30 uh, and 10 can be internationals. Okay. And I think you're only allowed to play a certain amount in your match day 23. So for our listeners, squads are about 30 to 35. Um, there are 23 players that suit up for a game and 15 of those are starters. Yep. Teams trade for foreign spots, but ultimately it's around about 10 internationals okay. in that squad of 30 to 35. Um, but the real challenge that we face is that we have salary caps and, you know, a good kid that, say, goes to Georgetown and plays rugby that's studied to be an accountant, good luck to him, uh, but the studies has, has done law or a business degree or an accounting degree, isn't going to go back and, and who is a really talented player 
is unlikely going to go play MLR because he's going to earn more money elsewhere. So we don't yet have we don't have it right yet, but I do think we're getting close to getting it right. The the amount of talent in in the states is just it's untapped, and but we also need to be mindful and respectful of a of a new competition. And what is from all that I've learned since starting is is that. You know, you, you can't go into these comps and, and I think the EPL is faced it in some areas where you're going to overcapitalise early. Um, you've got to have a slow, steady growth. Otherwise, it'll happen. Like MLR, as a, as a major league rugby, has already been into recession after overspending in one year and they don't want to do it again. So there has to be gradual growth. There has to be uh, an element of, of, yeah, of it being a level playing field. But... There are a lot of talented rugby players that aren't playing in the MLR, so we need to work out a way of getting them back. We can guess, probably not too difficult to understand where your international players are coming from. I think our listeners would be very interested to learn about where the North American, US, and maybe Canadian talent is coming from. Where are the areas that you are able to recruit or at least you know, do some outreach uh, to, to try and determine, you know, who are the good players. You mentioned there's a lot of talent out there. Where are you going to look for them? Yeah, the collegiate system is the first place to look. Okay. Um, there are more kids playing in college rugby uh, in, in the States than all of the Australian rugby. It's it's a fascinating number. And you just said that before that Bill Clinton played rugby. You could go through, I think even the Pope at one point played rugby. Like <laughs> it, It's big sport in Argentina, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the collegiate system's a strong system, but again, there's something that's a bit broken at the end where we've got to get them into the professional competition. Colorado is a is a hotbed of talent, um, and the way in which Colorado is set up right now, they're no longer part of the league, but they've got a, a new system where they're bringing in basketball, volleyball, wrestlers, and they're teaching them how to play rugby. But Colorado is, is, is an area that... that that thrives and it's a very passionate hotspot. Look, I could go through every team, San Diego, Seattle, they've all got good, rich rugby communities. But the, the one part, the one part we, we need to align with is the collegiate system. There's drafts, but some of those kids, you can draft them out of high school or you can draft them out of college, but I think that's the place to look. And look, I don't want to disrespect any, I think what I said before, because I, 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 it is still a big belief of mine if you're an NFL player, if you're a, even a wrestler, or if you are, you've excelled at a sport here in the US, and we can get you into rugby, thirteen to fifteen, that gives you enough time to develop those skills over a short period of five years. But this whole notion around, you know, uh, come and play rugby when you miss out on the NFL draft, it, it does take a lot of time to learn those skills. Yeah, I'm not disregarding any of those players that come through, but. Yeah, it, it does take time. So we, we are getting a lot of we are getting a lot of former NFL players. John Ryberger is a winger of ours at the moment. He's huge. Like he's he, he can just he puts everyone to shame on the on in the gym. But he's a former NFL player. Uh, so we are getting a lot of those players transitioning, and they do a great job. And the other point that I would make, which is really helping the sport here in the US, is the ability to win a gold medal. There is a 15 sides rugby, which we, we know and we're talking about on this cast right now. But our shortened version, that is sevens rugby, is an Olympic sport. Now, there is something about the United States and having a gold medal around your neck. And it's very aspirational. 
it's very ingrained into the culture and the dynamic of the, the society here. And you can leave the NFL at an early age or you can come and join rugby because not only are the values of you know, mateship, uh, respect, and all of these wholesome ingredients to make you a better person, which is very you know, great for parents and recruiting them into a sport. If you want to go and play pro, go to MLR. If you want to travel the world and you know visit Paris and Sydney, Australia, and all these beautiful places around the world, become a USA Eagle. If you want to win a gold medal, go and train for the Sevens in San Diego, and, and you can do that. So you're spoiled with options. Uh, and, and I think that's what you, you start to find athletes that plug into that. So I think the athletes are finding us is the answer to, to, to your question around where do we find the athletes? I think the athletes are coming towards us. Interesting. Adam, one of the things that, that is interesting is that, you know, the MLS uh, kicked off, you know, about, you know, 25 or so years ago. And one of the ways that they organized their league was that, you know, all, all the players actually sign a contract with the league and then the league sort of distributes them, if you will, throughout, throughout the system, which is somewhat of an interesting way to kind of do it. But, but that was created to sort of maintain, you know, to, you know, sustain the league effectively, right? How is uh, Major League Rugby organized? You know, is each team kind of looking for its own players and signing contracts individually, or is it more like the MLS system? Is it some kind of a hybrid? How does how does that work? Great question, because I think the the, the synergies between Major League Soccer, say twenty five years ago, to MLR now are extraordinary. So we all the players sign a contract with the MLR, uh, which is at a certain salary cap. And some of those players can sign, within reason, sign contract with the club to do things like coaching. Uh, some of the players work here uh, within our marketing department, but again, all within a cap. But the MLR does govern the competition through a capping system, so it's it's very similar to Major League Soccer. But the most important point that you made in, in that uh, drawing the two sports together is that was 25 years ago. It's taken 25 years for that sport to get to where it is now. So the only thing that could potentially hurt the MLR is clubs, owners, fans not being patient. And if you look at the best example of the way Major League Soccer is now, it, it, it is still, it's a little, it's, it's incredible in its journey, but it's still a well-off around the NBAs and NFLs. I think rugby can grow a little bit faster than that in 25 years, but just shows you how much energy and how much, how many mistakes and, and how much learnings have had in that 25 year history. Now, the only thing I can do from a USA rugby point of view is compare us with Major League Soccer, not only just in their contracting systems, but their journey, but also MLR comparing it to and USA rugby, compare it to Japanese rugby. 25 years ago, Japanese rugby was exactly what the Major League rugby was. It was a place where players would go at the end of their careers. They wouldn't earn a lot of money. It was about the culture and about the experience and playing in a league that wasn't as hard. It was their retirement season. MLR is starting to see some of those players who hit their 35s and think, well, I want to play one or two years. I'm not too fussed about the money and I want to go there. It's exactly what Japan were 25 years ago or even, say, 20 years ago. Now, since that 20 years, Japan have beaten South Africa, a world champion. So their international program has started to get some resolve and get some results as well. They were able to get a World Cup, which has just absolutely transformed their whole sport last year or in 2019 when they got their World Cup. It was hugely successful too. 
absolutely and now it's and the most the most viewed of all time on on a broadcast and then now you get to a place where Japanese rugby competition the J League is a very sustainable model it's got a broadcaster it's got you know it's there it's it's found its place it's taken 20 years to get there but all the ingredients along the way is patience a world cup and now getting the right players to come over and a sustainable model that you know, with salary caps and international cap spots where they're not allowed to have too many foreigners, it can happen. It's just patience, persistence, and actually learning from your mistakes as you go along. Then you get to get to a J League or Major League Soccer. So I, I do believe, I'm very, very passionate about this is actually, it's a slow burn. Uh, we need to be patient, but also you need to see some of the some of the fruits of what other sports and countries have done, and you, you, in the test of time, it'll be it'll be very worth it. Like a lot of people have said to me now, is why have we got salary caps and why are we doing it this way? But uh, in the end, I'm I'm a big believer in sustainable growth. Organizers chose to go down the standard U.S. model of organizing pro sports, the, the franchise route. So you have a central body, and then the, the franchisees, if you like, also own a piece of the central body, which obviously is more or less unique to the US when it comes to pro sports. Obviously, rugby in Australia, correct me if I'm wrong, is doesn't follow the franchise model. We know that soccer in Europe and South America doesn't either. Is it something about the US in particular that necessitates this approach, central contracts, one organization creating the rules and, and, and in some ways telling each team what they can and cannot do in terms of the finances, the recruitment, et cetera? That's a really interesting question and one that you'd be better off asking an owner. I just know in, in, in Australia, private equity into sport is so far away from where it is in the States. When you talk to me about ownership of, of sporting teams, Mark Cuban is probably the name that pops up because he's out in market the most and he, he sells his brand the best. Yeah. And, Commissioner of Major League Rugby is his former right hand in George Killebrew. So, and even listening to him and some of the way he presents and talks to the owners of the teams, does a sensational job of harnessing their energy. I think that's the most important thing in private equity and private ownership is if you've got a great leader who can manage the passion and the politics because they're sometimes, you know, a a different, difficult blend to manage. That's the most important thing. Now, the best thing about having private equity and private ownership into this league and then having a commission that manages it, you just get an enormous amount of IP. You do. And you get, you don't always, you get, don't always get agreement on things, but you certainly get an alignment and they disagree and commit. But that's a really strong dynamic to have. Where if you go back to, say, governing bodies, where it's run by a executive board with, no equity or no uh, intellectual know-how or property that comes into the business, it has it has its benefits, but it also has its challenges. And that's been probably the biggest eye opener for me. Is when I'm sitting on these calls, if you got you've got ten or so very successful people, all challenging and all aligned to one common purpose, it can be quite powerful. But it's not easy. But I do believe that it's probably the, the you know with. George, who's the commissioner, does an incredible job of managing that. But it's very, very normal in the States. And to go back to my point on Mark Cuban, if you can hang in there for a franchise, 
and you break even each year, that franchise is going up each year as well. So they're, they're very smart businessmen and they know how to grow their franchising to get that worth. Uh, and I don't think there's many people in Major League Rugby that are going to be chopping out of their franchises anytime soon, but there's certainly some great intellectual property there. Speaking of dynamic businessmen, tell us about Adam Gilchrist, your owner. I know he's uh, been very successful in Australia. Strong, strong real estate experience from what I read. You know, passionate rugby man. What is it like to work with him? Does he come to LA a lot? Is he is he very uh, proactive about things uh, with the Giltinis? Yeah, look, I, he doesn't like to be uh, front and center, uh, of, certainly of this club. Uh, he's very much in the background. He's very supportive of the staff that he's employed. But, you know, I, I find him fascinating to the point where you would never have thought 10 years ago that watching a plasma television or an LCD television with music in the background is going to redefine the way you train in the gym and having module and modulization of a, of a gym scenario and personal training is personal. It's, it's someone one-on-one and personally connecting with you to help you train and be better and feel better about yourself. So he was able to digitize that experience. So very left field thinking, very entrepreneurial and, and just always looking to innovate, always looking to challenge the status quo, never accepts anything as the norm. So very much runs on the board there. And then you start to bring that into, into this world and this environment. That's where Giltini's is, people think it's crazy as the name and how we're trying to build it up with and, and creating a model which is going to be sustainable. But if you look at his track record, you would never have thought that F45 as a business would be where it is now 10 years ago, but he, he, he has a vision and he sticks to it. And I said before that I'm very passionate about brand and, and messaging and alignment around marketing and brand, as he is. Uh, and again, there are some wild ideas and I won't share with you with all of them, but you know, there's, there's a method to his madness and I thoroughly enjoy it. And as I said, it's it's very easy to be enjoying things now when you're two from two and everything's looking okay. But, you know, I, I think I just always use the example of what he's been able to achieve in the biz, business world with F45. And now if you start to bring in some of that thinking around, like imagine one day where kids can go to a park and, and you know, have an international rugby star in a ship, shipping container where a TV pops down and all this equipment rolls out. And you can actually modulize basketball or rugby or baseball. It, it can be done. Yeah. It can be done. And, and he has that type of thinking and vision. So I think forget around the Giltini side of things is if you can implement some of those thinkings and strategies around what he's done to the fitness industry and to participation sport, uh, it, yeah, it, it's going to be quite crazy and quite cool. But yeah, look, I, I, as I said, it's, it's, it's interesting. I've never worked for an owner before. I've only always answered into a governing body and I've always had a, a different way of approaching things. And most of the time, I've always had a CEO of a governing body or a rugby coach as a boss. He's an owner and he's got skin in it. And it's been a real eye-opener, but I'm, I'm learning every day. Uh, and as I said, I've got a lot of faith in his vision, as I hope he has a lot of faith in uh, the people that he's employed here at the Guild team. Yeah. Hey Adam, so um, how is the league looking to you know elevate the sport in the U.S.? I mean, obviously you guys are you know focused on you know your season and making sure that that's successful and the teams are profitable and everyone sort of has a good uh, good season. But is there kind of an 
kind of an extra league effort to, you know, elevate the sport, maybe partner with USA Rugby some more. Uh, tell us a little bit about sort of those efforts. Yeah, there's certainly an alignment with the governing body. There's, and it hasn't always been a, a how can I say, a uh, fruitful relationship between the pro league and the governing body. But I do believe that they're in, they're in a really good place now and they are working together. I think the way in which you grow the league is is that's that's the million dollar question, right? But I think right now their approach has been sound in that it's very digitally led, uh, it's very content led. Um, they invest in a lot, a lot in that social space, and I think they're aligning with the right partners as well. I think they've got American Airlines, Geico. It, it, it's a very patient build towards it. And I've always thought if you're a high performance sporting organization, you need to align with those high performing brands and. They're doing a great job at that. Having a national broadcaster is also very beneficial for the sport. And and having a, a, a national grand final uh, will be very important to us as well. But it all does come down to mum and dad. And, and I always say this to people around, that's why it's so important to, to, to be able to capture a participant in the funnel. Now, if I'm, I'm going to call myself Johnny for this story, is if I'm Johnny and I've played rugby from 12 to 18, done pretty well, uh, never really made it, but rugby's my sport. Now, from 18 to 22 is where I'm going to be in a place where I'm going to go into the, to the rugby, buy beers, buy merch, and enjoy a day out, and, and I've got that badge on. Now, when Johnny gets to 22 to 25 and settles down and thinks about having kids, he invests and he, he, those kids become rugby people as well. So, it's so important that we capture these kids and bring them into an, an ecosystem where, or an environment where they're, they're passing on their, I call it rugby DNA, to the next generation, to the next generation. Because everyone's got a rugby story. Uh, and uh, I think it does then have to be around, you've got to target this, this, this new generation of fan who understands Xbox, who, who watches their phone more than the TV, that that sort of I'm I'm just going to call it out now is that you can look at the kids. The kids are always going to enjoy sport and their sport with choice. But if we can focus in on that young adult teenager that that can come to the game, it's got a very collegiate feel about the sport too on game day and prez. So I think that target market is a really important one for us, not for just now, but for generations to come. But the MLR do a lot of research too, and I think everything they do around marketing is always based on insights, which. Is commendable because I think there's there's also sometimes with a, a new brand it just especially in a startup which is what we are is just to splash money and go hard as fast as possible but very targeted in their approach and to date all of their metrics are, are saying that they're building and again I keep repeating this on the call at a sustainable rate and, and, and it is a slow burn. Are you are you also trying to work with uh, you know some colleges to kind of get your you know name out there throughout the you know I don't know if it's the NCAA that governs this or if it's club through through each school you know is that another effort are you guys going to have you know summer camps for kids are some teams doing that just kind of you know curious you know how how those efforts might uh, play out. Yeah, as a league, I can't speak on behalf of the league, but certainly from us here in LA, obviously we play out of the Coliseum, so there's a good connection in with USC. Uh, UCLA is a great partner of ours too. We've uh, we've got job shares, we've got young kids that come through, and if there's a you know good local young talent at UCLA that wants to be exposed to a, a high performance environment, unpaid of course, then they've, they've got the ability to do that. Now, those two brands, let's just go back to brand again. I sound like a 
bit of a wanker. But um, those two brands and aligning with those brands is is just is, it's name me a better environment with two college brands in USC and UCLA to and and they both have incredible rugby programs. UCLA has coached very well, really strong appetite, and even places that I've visited like Notre Dame, at Cal Poly. I know Notre Dame's not in 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 the area, but Cal Poly's got an incredibly powerful rugby program. It's about bringing that to life. And you would even know this through business. There's always different departments that do well, but the good the good leaders are able to blend them together for a common purpose and actually align them. And I've said this out publicly is, you know, what are you doing for community rugby? And I said, look, right now, I just want alignment. And and that that is the most difficult part. You get the alignment bit right, and you then you start to resource properly and everyone's got a common purpose and you can put the passion and politics to the side and get that alignment that's the most important thing and right now our colleges are aligned towards the guillotinis and and that program doing well because they love their rugby so tapping in everyone just thinks it's a very loose way of putting is tapping into the colleges it's not that it's about trying to get some alignment and our alignment will come through not only the high performance part of it of playing but also boys and girls in their mid-20s, or out the footy, in the car park, having a steak and a hot dog and a couple of beers. There's, a, there's alignment in celebration as well. I think we can only hope that the other GMs of all the other clubs in the MLR have half as much passion you know, for their team and for growing the sport in the US as you clearly do, Adam. Uh, if, and if they do, then... It sounds like the league, the league is going to be built on on strong foundations. I know you can't speak uh, to what all the other GMs and what all the other clubs are doing, but clearly you really want Giltinis to be built in a sustained way, uh, finances responsibly managed. You know, you take care take care of your fiscal responsibilities very well, and as you say, play the long game. You know, no quick bucks or no crash and burns. You see the sport growing steadily, you know, perhaps as we alluded to, like the MLS style over over 25, 30 years to gain that very strong foundation and then and then build on that popularity. Is there anything uh, you would like to tell as we wrap things up? Is there anything you'd like to tell our audience about how they can come and see you? Obviously, we will share all of your social media and all your web stuff on the, sh- on, the on our notes. But where where can where can our audience uh, learn more about Giltinis? Learn more about MLR? If you could point them in the right direction, come and watch a game. Obviously, most importantly. Yeah. Well, the first thing you do is go to guiltinis.com and you see our draw. And every game is live on the Rugby Network, yeah. which is there. So free and accessible, which is the most important thing in this this whole place we're at right now. Is there's you, you can watch it if you and as I said before, there's Bally Sports West as well. Just experience rugby. And I and I, I do keep saying this. If you went to a rugby game at the at, and it's at the Coliseum and the renovation on that Coliseum, like wow, like it, it is a spectacular venue. And even the lower bowl full is twenty five thousand. It, it's it's just a remarkable place that's been able to host. It'll be the only place in the world that will host three Olympics, mind you. You're part of history, but you're also part of the future there. So if you go to guiltinis.com and buy a ticket and just sample it, I can assure you, if you go to work or if you talk to your family and say, I was at the rugby, I will guarantee you that person you're talking will say, oh, rugby, my brother played rugby or 
my daughter's friend played rugby and my boyfriend, like everyone has a rugby story. So it's important you're part of the, our rugby story as well. And that's just by getting out of the Coliseum. But the best place to go is is to guiltinis.com and to catch a live game on Valley Sports West, always live and on an OTT, the rugby network, and make sure you put the on the rugby network because I sometimes get grilled a bit when people can't find it. Terrific. Well, we'll be sure to uh, to make sure all of those links are in the show notes so the team, our audience, can can uh, can follow MLR and follow Giltinis. Uh, Adam, I think Vlad and I would like to thank you very much uh, for your early start this morning and for coming out and, uh, and talking with us. I'm sure, Vlad, uh, you feel the same way. Yes, thank you. All the best. And yeah, good luck this season to you guys. You know I'm going to Google you right now, but I know that you played at, uh, you played at Georgetown. There's not a whole lot out there, unfortunately. There is something, though. There, <laughs> there is, is something. something. There is something. There, mate. I'm onto it. I'm onto it. And uh, it's sort of one of my hobbies is actually Googling all the old NBA players I used to follow just to see what they're up to now. Yeah, yeah. You'll be part of that list. If you're really entrepreneurial, then listen, you can you can buy some cards of uh, of me. They're up to about $1.50 right now on eBay. So. <laughs> And they were they were not long ago they were twenty five cents. And not so that's long a big ago, return. yeah. That's so quite quite an increase. Quite an increase. <laughs> <laughs> Should have bought a million of them. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll trade you for one of mine. But uh, look, guys, in all seriousness, I really do appreciate you having me on the show and uh, allowing me to share my rugby story. Because it, as I said to you, we we want everyone to fall in love with the sport and. Uh, brick by brick we'll build it absolutely pleasure's been all ours thanks Adam we'll uh, we'll be in touch again all the best take care now thank you for joining us on our podcast we know that if you're listening to this show we know that you know how to subscribe to podcasts so hit that subscribe button tell your friends and your family about us and if you'd like to get in touch please connect with us our contact information is in the show notes thank you for listening we'll be in the game with you in a few days with our new episode